Welcome to Nothing Is OB Golf Podcast, episode number 28. In this episode, I speak with UTSA men's head golf coach, John Kennard. We discuss his time at Texas A&M and at Arizona, and how he got down here to San Antonio. We get into some of his best stories in his 12 years at UTSA, and going into his 13th, his vision for the upcoming season. He tells some great stories from his many experiences in this great game of golf. Please be aware that some of the audio is a little bit crazy, for I am using a new streaming system. I hope you enjoy the interview with Coach. All right. Welcome to Nothing is OB Golf Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Andy Torres. Now, today I have a super, super special, rowdy guest, the UTSA men's head golf coach, John Kennard. Uh Thank you for being on the show, Coach. I really appreciate it. Uh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Now, Coach... Uh, let's just start off. Let's just start off with the bang. Why UTSA? Uh, you've had a decorated coaching career. You had stops at A&M where your coaching career started in this golf game. You were at Tucson for a good amount of time. And then this is your 13th year going into your 13th year at UTSA. Why UTSA? Um, well, you know, I'm from Texas. I, I grew up in college station, uh, went to school at A&M. Uh, was then able to uh, be lucky enough to go to Tucson, Arizona and, and uh, be a part of a, a top five college golf team with a, a bunch of decorated players. And, uh, but when the, the chance opened up uh, at UTSA, I, already, I knew some people here. Uh, obviously, uh, Lynn Hickey was the AD at the time, and she was at A&M when I was at A&M. Uh, Liz Dalton was the... Uh, kind of assistant athletic director and was over golf. And, uh, she had reached out to me. Um, I knew her from A&M and, uh, and then just some, some other folks, whether it was, you know, the baseball coach or, you know, the basketball coach or whatever, I, I knew some people. And so I did some digging and, you know, I, I had heard obviously of UTSA, but just like everyone, you know, it wasn't some humongous national powerhouse, right? And, uh, but I did some digging and every single person, 100% told me this was a sleeping giant, that this place was amazing. San Antonio was amazing. And, you know, I, I pressed them a little bit. Uh, I remember asking Liz Dalton, how am I going to raise any money there? How am I going to support this golf team and grow it to be a national name you know, you don't have any tour players. You don't have any whatever. And she said, she said, you know what? You know what it's like being an Aggie and that Aggie network and that pride that A&M feels. And, you know, people just give back because they feel obligated to. She said, San Antonio is exactly like that. She said she wasn't sure if it was the Hispanic culture of, of just family first and family oriented things. If it was a Texas thing or what, you know, what really it was, but she said people in San Antonio support San Antonio. And let me tell you, she was right. I've come here. We've had tons of support from a lot of folks. We've had support booster support from people that went to other schools. You know, I, a lot of my boosters went to A&M or Texas or Texas tech or Oklahoma or wherever but they 
are the CEO of a business here in San Antonio. They want San Antonio to do good. This is San Antonio school. And so that is really what sold me the, on the first day. Now, since I've been here, I've been extremely lucky to be able to build something uh, kind of from scratch. I mean, the school has been around, the golf team had been around, but they went through a rough patch. And, you know, that's why the job opened up for me and uh, was, was pretty blessed uh, to get the opportunity. But I was able to do it my way. You know, there wasn't a lot of stuff in place, I guess you could say. And I was able to really build it. Now, it took time to do that. Um, it was not an overnight successful deal. Uh, but then after a while, we got better. We got a little bit better each year. We got uh, players from around the state. And then those followed with better players. And for a long time, we would bring in freshmen, and they always made the starting lineup because we kept recruiting better players. We have now finally hit that mark to where when the freshmen come in, they're not always the best players uh, because we've recruited so many good players. Uh, so I feel like we've kind of gotten somewhere uh, there for a while. It was like, geez, here we go again. Got to trot out a couple new freshmen into the lineup and they were they would be the best. Um, and so the pride of building something yourself and and where you've taken it has been what's kept me here. I'm not interested in going anywhere else. Uh, this is something that is, it's kind of like what we I talked about just a second ago. This is San Antonio. This is home. This is family. And these kids, the school, uh, the other teams, the other coaches on our staff, they're all family. And, you know, that's, that's kind of what's kept me here. Well, I'm, I'm really glad to hear many of the things that, that you're stating. It's so funny because I interviewed Summer last summer, actually, uh, Summer Batista, the women's head golf coach. And it's almost y'all are stating the same things, uh, what drew y'all into the city, of uh, family, atmosphere, uh, welcoming. And hearing you as an Aggie, uh, y'all's, uh, your motto is howdy, y'all, if I'm not mistaken, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it seems like that's something very similar that you kind of just felt at ease uh, being here in UTSA. And you're right. I'm originally from Corpus Christi. And so coming up here, I felt some of those same things that uh, Corpus is a very small city and San Antonio is, is kind of like a big, small city and, uh, or like a big, small town. And uh, it has that homey feel. And uh, you're really right. We tailgate. I belong to a, uh, me, myself, and several families, we have a tailgating crew called Rowdy Amigos. And uh, one of the things is that uh, we, feel, we feel that love. And uh, we've met a lot of other people who tailgate at the UTSA football games. And, and it stinks that we're not going to be able to do that this year. But we've met so many people that have had uh, graduated and that they're alumni at elsewhere. But they want to see San Antonio do well. They want to see UTSA do well. And I, I really enjoy that and feel that. What would you say is your, the atmosphere that you have built within the program? The first thing we did was I had to realize that recruiting here and recruiting in the state was different. Uh, when I was here at A&M recruiting the state of Texas, you know, 
sometimes you're you're blessed, right, with with great facilities or just you know an incredible alumni base. I mean, A and M just became the they have the largest alumni base in the entire planet now. You know, of living alumni, and so you know. I don't want to just say nothing's easy, right? In the in the college sports, you, you got to really work at it. But you, they came to you. You know what I mean? It was it was about weeding them out. And Arizona was the same way. They were from all over the country, or even all over the world. But it was more about just weeding them out, uh, not searching them out. People were searching you out. And so when I got here, I had to really learn how to go out correctly and search out the right kids. And I've kind of, I've been quoted in a book, two different books twice. And I've said, life's too short and the van's too small to deal with a turd on your team. And (laughs) so that's kind of been my motto. Like you've got to recruit the right people, not just good players. And, you know, we all talk, uh, we're very high on academics at UTSA. Uh, my golf teams won a bunch of national awards for, for academics. Um, we had four academic All-Americans this last year alone. Uh, but you can't just recruit good students, somebody that shoots some good scores or hits the ball far or whatever. You just can't deal with, on a small team like that, a, a cancer, Right. You hear it all the time. Oh, that that guy was a cancer in the locker room. But he's one of 120 football players. They can move him out or they can silence that and and get around that. One person out of eight players on a golf team can wreck your whole team and they're there for four years. They can they can screw up an entire culture. So one of my things is you, you can't legislate culture. You have to recruit culture. So I can have all the rules I want. You got to do this. You got to wear this, have your hair like this, you know, say this, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but in the end, if you don't have truly good people, they're, they're going to end up breaking the rules. So what I've done is I've recruited really, really good people that came from really, really good families that I've, I've vetted out and recruited their family maybe more than than them as a, you know, a talented person. Right. And what that's done is I don't really have to have any rules. I, I feel stupid standing up in front of my team saying, okay, here's the rules and here's the list of things we're going to do because I'm like preaching to the choir. They all know it. They all live it every day. And so it's made my job so easy, but it takes an effort to go out and recruit that way and you have to have a belief that the right kids will come because so often we get sucked into, we say, Oh, look at that guy. and He does this, or he's the best putter I've ever seen. And Oh, he bombs it. And Oh, this guy's going to be so good. And he's got an intangible, you know, that somebody else doesn't have. And when he's a junior, he's going to be amazing. And you really want him. And he kind of likes you and you, you're kind of having a good report, but you're having to sell it too hard. If you got to sell it that hard, they don't really want to be there. And so I, I had to kind of recruit myself, get myself to believe in the right way of doing it. And once I did, uh, I'm not joking you. It, it's so easy now. We, we find these kids all the time, and and it's almost like it was back before. Like I said, at the other schools where they find you, right? 
they find you and it's your job just to weed out the ones you don't want. And that's always in recruiting more important. You could stand on the driving range and you had 10 people you came to watch that day and you were watching some stuff, but you see an interaction with a kid and his parents and he's being a little jerk or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Cross him off the list. Right. And I've always said that is more important recruiting than some special thing you did to get this kid interested in your school or whatever, you know, anybody can tell who you want. It's not hard to find great players. I, I could teach you how to be an assistant coach and recruit great players instantly. Right. It, I mean, anybody can see it. It's seeing through kind of the, the BS, right. And, and, and getting through that to find out who these kids really are. And, and, you know, obviously, sometimes people slip through the cracks. You think somebody's really great, and they get here, and it turns out they're a little spoiled or whatever the deal is. But uh, I, I kid you not, in the last five or six years, you know, we've had a kid, like, late for a, a meeting or something, and, then, and that's, like, the biggest deal. And I tell my assistant coach, do you realize there's other coaches that they're having – they got kids on their team with alcohol problems and drug problems and – uh, they've got kids, you know, getting in trouble with the law and or they've got kids doing stuff at the golf course, vandalizing it or something, you know, at night and and getting their whole team kicked off the course. I said, we're worried about a kid being late to a meeting for five minutes. That's like the biggest deal on our team. I said that right there is how good we've recruited. Now, I, I'm, I've been a coach for 15 years. I've coached I've coached high school. I've coached middle school. I, I currently I'm the athletic director at a small Catholic school. And of course, a coach and I were talking about this the other day about being on a championship team. I said, I don't care what level it is, if it's the NBA, PGA, or, you know, being part of a PGA team, you know, whether you're an advisor, a swing coach, putting coach, anything of that nature, or NBA team, MLB team, or Little League. uh, To be a championship team or to be on a good team, uh, there's so many things that have to come together. And it always starts at the top. I say, uh, in your position, you, you have to have good people around you because kids, uh, and, and I say young, I mean, in your case, they're young adults. They can always smell through the BS too. They can always see that if, that if coach doesn't practice what he preaches or if he doesn't believe in it, why do I have to believe it? And so obviously uh, you, you're doing that right now because I'm going to tell you, I've met kids. Uh, yeah, I've been to Valero Open. I've been to several uh, – you know, small corn fairy now events. I've met several pros or aspiring pros. And I'm going to tell you, coach, I met, if I'm not mistaken, I think his name is Colin. I met Colin over the summer. Colin and I Clark. him. Yes, sir. Colin Clark. And I mean, again, it, I mean, I'm a little five foot four Mexican, you know, and I'm out there at a TPC on the driving range. And Colin's a, a towering guy, especially to me. And you see him and I mean, he's, you just hear him compressing that ball solid. I mean, and, but you see him, you know, he's, he's working on his alignment sticks. He, you know, he's working on his game and um, I see his bag and I'm, I'm a proud road runner. I'm super proud. And uh, I went up, I said, excuse me. I said, excuse me, sir. Do you play for UTSA? Or he said, Oh yes, sir. Uh, and he explained to me, you know, what he's getting ready for and some of the tournaments and some of the events he was getting ready for. And I mean, the nicest kid, the nicest guy, very cordial, very respectful. And I said, you know what? That, that's a staple of, of his family, uh, his, his co- current coaches, and you know, the program he represents. And I'm just like, 
I saw him interacting with some other people there and uh, he really carried himself very well. And so uh, I commend you on recruiting quality, you know, athletes and kids. I appreciate it. Uh, the, the best praise that I ever get as a coach is exactly what you just said right there. Someone interacts with my kids and they're, they're so impressed with their character and, you know, something that is usually off the beaten path, like no one's around kid could have totally had a perfect opportunity to blow them off or do whatever. And no one would have known, you know, what, what do you do when no one's looking right. And, and our character doing the right things. Uh, I got a quick little story that uh, has always stuck with me about that. So we play a lot of these college AMs. And so you go and, you know, when you're playing these golf tournaments, you have a practice round, but a lot of times it'll be like a pro am and they'll have, uh, you know, one of your kids, play with a group of members kind of thing. It raises money for, you know, whatever the deal is or for the tournament or sometimes for a charity that, that they're involved in. And uh, we're at Louisiana Lafayette. And the way it works is two, you got five players. So two of your players play with three members and then three of your players play with two members. So you're like two fivesomes. And, uh, and they usually, you know, it's part of putting on this event. And uh, so, you know, these people are all raging Cajun people right <laughs> yeah right and yeah, but they're doing it and they want to they want to interact with these great college players and stuff and so i mean only x number of people can play with their own team so they're all playing with other teams right well anyway end of the day you know these guys all oh, coach you know you, these kids are great i really love it blah 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 we get home and about a week later i get a note and it's from one of the guys who played it and he said coach i, I wanted to tell you that i was so impressed with the way your kids handled yourself. And like when you went over to the other group and like the coaches weren't around, you know, they were so outgoing. They didn't have, you know, it's not like I was there standing over their shoulder or something like that. He said, these, these kids are really good. And I just wanted you to know, I wanted to help you out. Sent me a thousand dollar check for our program, a thousand dollars to a program that we're against them. The, he wants his team. <laughs> yeah. Right. But he was so impressed <laughs> with my kids. And so I've always said the biggest, you know, uh, testament right there is, is your players. And I can't say enough about the current group I have. I got a lot of former players. I got a lot of former players at all the schools I've coached at that are just the same way and they're off the charts. But the group that I have over the last three or four or five years is amazing. Just amazing. And, uh, they're just, they're just all like that. And, and they're all from Texas. Uh, we found them all in the state and, and it's a great thing. Now with, in speaking about your group and the great group you have, what have been some of the biggest struggles I know in, in hearing things regarding eligibility during this pandemic time, what are some of the biggest things that, that you've had to, you and your staff had to have uh, struggled with or currently dealing with or have dealt with in regards to building that team or, you know, keeping that team and uh, the scholarships that you can offer or could not offer? Well, I guess the best way to explain it is every school in the country has problems with the, with the pandemic, right? I don't care if you're Ohio state, 
or Texas A&M or Texas or whatever, and you got all the money in the world, supposedly, right? We always say that kind of stuff. And you're taking a huge hit, right? So every school is taking major budget crunches. A lot of schools, people are voluntarily taking salary cuts. Uh, some folks are, t- you know, scholarships are being cut. So the, the limits that you're allowed to offer, uh, you know, every one of our sports, the UTSA, we're at the full 100% limit that the NCAA allows us to offer, but we had to go through and make some cuts. And so, you know, may not be offering as much. Um, to be really honest with you, and this probably goes right back to the character deal, none of my kids cared about anything like that. Um, no one has said, well, I don't know, I think I'm going to opt out or... I, I think that, you know, things are going to be tough this year, you know, and the budgets are going to, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to have as much stuff. Right. And, and so I'm not going to play. And, and I've heard that from across the country, other places where people said, because you remember last year, last spring, when this all hit March the 12th, we were on the range at the TPC and we got, we started seeing like on ESPN, like the basketball tournament, uh, you know, for our conference was being postponed. And then the Big Ten said something. And then, the, you know, it just started snowballing. And literally within six hours, like the season was over. You know, we were at home that night at six o'clock and, and there was no NCAA championships. There was nothing. Well, we got a call that day saying, hey, you're not going to your next tournament here in three days. But we don't know how long that's going to last. Maybe it's one tournament. Maybe it's two or three. Maybe it's the rest of the spring, whatever. And so you know, my guys, they were bummed, right? Everybody is. And, but we're pretty fortunate in golf, the golf courses for, with the exception of about two weeks in San Antonio, but for the most part in the, in the state, the golf courses stayed open. Uh, my kids were able to go out and play. So I remember being on a head coach's call and I said, look, they were asking, Oh, how are everybody's people doing? Right. And so, you know, some of these poor coaches were on there talking these, you know, woeful stories of their kids and they're depressed and all this. And I said, look, I gotta be, I gotta be honest. <laughs> I'm pretty lucky. My kids are all at home. They're all safe and they're all going to the golf course every single day and they're practicing every day. And so, you know, your basketball player can't go to the gym. So he's not getting to shoot around, but my guy's going, I was like, so they can't go to the, the gym at home and work out and lift weights, but I mean, they're going to the golf course. Right. And so then summer tournaments opened up and they were playing summer tournaments and doing all this stuff. Right. And so we were kind of feeling pretty good about things <laughs> and our guys were playing pretty well. And we had some guys do some stuff. I had two guys make the finals of the, the city match play. And, you know, so we obviously had a winner of that. And, uh, since both made, we had six guys make it to the match play portion and, uh, Chad Sewell played in the USAM again this year for the second year in a row. And I, we had a lot of good stuff going on. Like we're excited, you know, to start the season. And then as it got here with all the things that have going on, the testing protocols, all the conferences and all, and all the different things. Now we're shut down. We're not playing our fall season, you know, in golf, we play all year long. Um, our championships are in the spring, but we play, stuff that counts in the fall there's a lot of sports that play things in the fall but it's it's like exhibition type stuff or off-season kind of stuff 
it's not it doesn't count. Ours, the very first tournament that we should be leaving for this weekend to go to La Tech would have counted just as important as the last tournament of the year in the spring. And so we're losing some of our year this year, right? And so the guys, again, eh, for 24 hours, were like, oh, man, kind of bummed. And then we started talking about it. And I said, look, guys, we're going to have the best fall we've ever had in the history of this school. And I said, what we're going to do is y'all can still go play amateur events, you know, not affiliated with us. You can still go play in the USGA four ball or you can still go play in the city match play or whatever's going on, right? got stuff you can do schools online so you're not missing any class for going to those things like you would have before so that would have made it tough and i said we're still gonna we get to practice every day our just because we're not competing doesn't mean our season has changed we still get the same number of practice days and the number of hours i said we're gonna make this thing awesome and i, and I said we're gonna come out of this so good that we're gonna be on a hot streak when it comes time to tee it up in february and we're going to beat the beat the heck out of a lot of teams. And, you know, there's a few conferences that are still playing, and they're playing kind of conference-only tournaments. A few that are not, like our conference, we could have played, but each school, you know, did their own thing. And, and for our school, it just it wasn't in the cards with all the testing. We have chosen to do the most stringent testing of literally anyone in the country. And I applaud our leaders for doing that. Right. But for golf, at least we painted ourselves in a corner because we're not allowed to play against anyone else. Who's not doing the same protocols we are. And so I really wasn't going to be able to play anybody anyway. And so our administration made the, made the choice of just saying, Hey, we're not going to, we're going to play any, any competition in the fall with the exception of football. And, and, you know, I think that's the right thing. Uh, I think they made the right call. It's, you know, it's, it's kind no, of, ha- ha- Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, having had a great relationship with Lynn Hickey at A&M and then uh, having Lynn Hickey, I, I love Lynn Hickey. She was very personable, very personal and uh, very approachable. I loved seeing her again. We tailgate a lot. So we're there right when the gates opened up. I loved seeing her make her way through the parking lot, shaking hands. I, I say shaking babies, kissing hands. That's what I always say. Right. And, uh, it was really great to see, uh, to, to really get to, I felt like I got to know her and, and I had a coach, I had her husband, he taught me several of my kinesiology classes. And, uh, it, it was really, really great to hear that, that you had the rapport with her at A&M. And then obviously, you know, is one of the reasons how you made your way to UTSA. Now, how has your relationship been with, uh, AD or at least accomplice? I want to get a feel for what is going on. Right. And I want to hear from everyone. She had individual meetings with literally every coach and she had meetings with all kinds of players and all the staff and would come to a head coaches meeting and would let us and, and the other administrators run the meeting. And she just sat over there taking notes. She didn't say a word at first, you know, you're just not used to seeing that. Right. I mean, the boss comes in and the boss tells you what's going to happen. (laughs) Yeah. And you just deal with it and, and you figure it out. And, and so I was like, at first I was like, this is kind of weird. But then the more I started looking at it, I was like, man, this is pretty smart. And so when she finally did get to that point, she says, okay, 
all right, y'all ready? Because here is what I got for you. <laughs> and and these are the changes we're going to make. And, you know, you need to get on the bus, right? Because the bus is going this direction. And With or without you, right? With or without, with you. Or without you, right? <laughs> and I really respected that because I, I just felt like, you know, you could have walked in on day one and said, okay, the bus is going here, right? And she doesn't know anything. You're like, who is this? Who is this person? You don't even know what we're doing. You don't know what what has worked or not worked. Have you ever tried doing this? Oh, you have tried doing that. Oh, and oh, and it didn't work. Okay, well, tell me why. Oh, oh, okay. Well, maybe that doesn't work. You know, a novel idea of listening, and I thought it was really, really good. And uh, it was a uh, it was smart, dude. Yeah, she's the other thing that I think. Um, she includes the head coaches in all the decisions. So during all this COVID, I would call around to all my other coaching buddies, right? Oh, what are you hearing in your conference? Oh, what is your school saying? I kid you not. There's some schools. They were like, we haven't even had a meeting or we haven't even talked to our administrators in a month or two months or whatever. And I'm like, you're kidding. We're having like a head coaches meeting every week. She's asking our opinion on if we had to cut, you know, this or your operating budget or some scholars, like which cuts come first. And so and she got our opinions. Now she's the boss, right? In the end, oh, yeah. make the decision, but she got our opinions on that stuff. And I have always tried to do the exact same thing with my team. And that's probably why I respect it so much is because this is the way I operate. I ask my players, their opinions on a lot of things in the end, I'm the one making the decision. If I think they're all full of it, we're going to do what I'm going to do. Right. But there's been multiple times where they've come up with good ideas or they've said, you know what, to be honest, coach, that stuff or the thing you think that's not as important to us as this other deal. You know, this, this other way of doing it is way more important. Oh, really? Well, I wouldn't have thought that. Right. So if I hadn't asked you and so she's because she does that, I just think that it's a, uh, uh, it's a good way of going about it. And, uh, and she's been able to have a great relationship. You know, Dr. Amy is so phenomenal. You know, our new president, I mean, he is so pro-athletics and it's just just fantastic. And, uh, and I always say I never want to take away what Dr. Romo did for our school. He took our school from nothing to something, right? Hell yes. I, I totally and, agree. Totally agree. And the same thing goes for Lynn Hickey. She took, when she got here, it was nothing. And she took it to something we had football. But mm-hmm. I'm telling you, Dr. Campos and Dr. Amy have taken now something, and they're making it really something. When well, we get- are you are you super are you super excited about your new athletic facility? Yeah. So I was going to say, I mean, huh. with with the race building, I mean, what an amazing deal that's going to be. Um, we're in the process of of getting a building built out at the TPC for the golf team and a, and a team room out there and a, uh, a a deal on the driving range, you know, for uh, some hitting bays. Uh, you know, and having a place like that as our home course is phenomenal. And, um, and so, yeah, you know, everything is kind of going in the right direction and, and, uh, and these are tough times, right. Uh, but they had, they had that stuff all put in place. We asked them the other day, we said, how's all this COVID affecting the building? And she was like, well, we'd already raised the amount of money we needed and then the rest of it, it goes into kind of like a loan type scenario. And, and we've already shown that we can provide that debt service. 
And then as we raise more money, you know, you have less debt. It's like a mortgage, right? Raise some money, you throw a little (laughs) extra at the house, right? And uh, so if you drive by there, building is going full steam ahead. COVID didn't touch it. It, It's ready to rock. I'm I'm sure you're getting ready. I'm sure you'd be really excited about leaving those portables, right? Yeah. So <laughs> when I first got here, my office, <laughs> a portable building that is next to the training room, kind of by the tennis courts. And, you know, it is what it is. But when you're inside your office, it doesn't feel like some trailer, right? It's when you walk outside, you're like, hey, I was in a trailer. <laughs> so, it, you know, it just wasn't that big a deal to me. I just that's not my, not my style. And, and so when, I don't know if you remember how long it goes, but, but five or six, well, maybe as long as longer than that, I guess, uh, they moved some of the offices off campus. Yeah, and, I remember. And so when they did that, they were going to move some of our offices and they were talking about where they could put us. And I said, Hey, look, we'll be glad to go out there at the trailer that's out with the track and, and the soccer teams um, because we leave campus every single day to go to practice. You know, it's not like I just walk down to the gym like the basketball coach. And I did not know then how much I would miss being on campus as I do now that I've been off for a while. So unless I have to come in to get the, you know, do something or we have a meeting that's on the physical campus, I don't really have to go over there. And used to the best coaching you can ever do is either in your office drinking coffee with your talking to your kids about just life or in the van we've got an awesome mercedes sprinter van oh, i i i've taken a, i've taken several pictures in front of it at the games <laughs> and uh well wait till you see it this year we got it wrapped so it's I not saw it. oh did you see it yeah it looks sick it looks it's sick. unbelievable it's unbelievable and so, but we get a lot of coaching done and it could be just on something random, right? Just so it has nothing to do with golf, but you're teaching your kids to be better people. They're going to be better leaders, better fathers, uh, you know, and that kind of thing. Well, I'm not on campus, so they can't come by. They don't still pop by my office like they used to. I mean, kids were always in my office. They'd come in, I'd be drinking coffee. They'd come in, hey coach, what's going on? Oh, I got 30 minutes in between class. They're just wasting time we talk about something and sometimes it'd be, Hey, let me talk to you about this stat from last tournament. You know, your putting was bad from this distance or blah, blah, blah. But a lot of times it was just like about their girlfriend or about an internship or something like that. Yeah. And I really, really miss that. I cannot wait till this race building gets built and get on campus and sit in my office and let those kids come back in again. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Now, as, now as a coach, I, I used to be a classroom teacher. I just, I'm just a PE teacher now, but I used to be a classroom teacher. And that's where I felt like I got to know my student athletes on a whole other level. I felt like they got to know me and on a personal level. And so when I coached them, they, I, they really trusted me and vice versa because I knew how each kid responded. Now that I'm in administration and I'm just more on the athletic director side and scheduling games and just coaching, I don't see those kids for like a semester because I don't have them as an elective. And then at times I'm like, I don't know these kids as well. And that's something that I really miss. So I I truly understand you being on campus and kind of interacting in their daily lives and then them having that comfort level with you. 
And as, as a coach and as a former player, I, I can totally see that that's how those, those relationships are really built. Absolutely. Tell me, Coach, what is the biggest success you've had at UTSA as a coach? I don't know. I measure, you know, we've won some golf tournaments. That's great. Uh, we won our home tournament a couple years ago that, you know, had a bunch of good teams in the field. That's awesome. Uh, Xander Lozano, who played on my team, qualified for a couple of NCAA regionals, and Ryan Weary did the same thing. That's awesome. I got a bunch of plaques on my wall for academic All-Americans and academic teams and that kind of thing. But um, I think our biggest success has been creating a group of young men that go out and become great people. And I, I, I always say on our, on a recruiting visit, when I'm talking to kids, like at a lunch and talking to their parents. And I always say that I'm way more interested in, I said, I want you to become a tour star. I want you to be tiger woods. I want you to win the FedEx cup. Right. But in the end, I'm truly more interested in who you become as a person, as a father, how you give back to your church, how, what do you do for your kids? You know, what, what do you become? Are you the best accountant that you can be or whatever you choose? To me, that is the success. The people that we've had come through here have gone on to become incredible people and, and have done so many things. And are, and are in, in this time of need, I hear stories of them giving back and, so we had a kid on our team, uh, it's been probably eight years ago. His name was Xavier Basanez. He was from Argentina, but when they had all the unrest in Argentina, his parents, they moved to Costa Rica. So I actually got him from Costa Rica. And he came in and, you know, he's, he's really studying hard. He's really, really smart. He's taking all these extra classes, doing these things. And, and uh, finally after three years, he comes in my office and he says, coach, he says, you know, I love you. I love the team, love all the stuff, but I want to be in biomedical engineering. And I was like, <laughs> what? <is> what? <laughs> like, so he kind of explained it. And, and, and so we kind of both agreed. We're like, if you go into that, I mean, you're not going to have any time to practice. You'll never make the lineup again because you're always going to be doing all this other stuff. Right. And, and he, you know, he knew that he agreed. So he said, you know, I think I'm going to step down from the team, but I'm just going to finish school and do this. And I said, okay. And uh, so he goes, he graduates. And at the end of graduation, they did basically like a, the way he describes it is like a shark tank type pitch, right. To some investors and, but it's for a class, but you like could actually win money like, a, you know, like the kids that win scholarships. So, well, his team, they built some robotic arm or, you know, some kind of thing. Right. Uh, you know, for uh, like prosthetic limbs and that kind of thing. And uh, they won the deal and they won like one hundred thousand dollars. And uh, those guys started a company with that and their company is, is going strong. And uh, they it, during the pandemic started making masks and PPE stuff 
with all their assembly and all their things, both here and down in Mexico. And they've donated over like a million products and just donated it all. They, they made it all to donate. They didn't make one piece of it to sell. That right there is the biggest success that I've had. Um, because it's, that's so much, who cares if you win a golf tournament? You know what I mean? It's just so much bigger than that. And, and so it's stories like that. And, you know, that's a pretty good one. But, I mean, I have other stories of kids that have gone on to do great things. And we have guys out playing pro golf and are doing well in pro golf and, you know, have won big major, you know, Xander won the, the Texas State Amateur. I mean, it's 115 years old or whatever, 120 years old. His name's on the trophy with some unbelievable people now. And, uh, but I mean, so what, right? That didn't help anybody during a pandemic, but this kid did. And so those are the things that I think are, are just the absolute, you know, the end all beat all and kind of give me the chills and, and the goosebumps uh, when I think about it, because what I'm doing is making these kids better. And just like you, there will be a kid. 30 years from now, who will come back and say, coach, because of you, you inspired me to do this or whatever. And I mean, you know, from being an educator, it doesn't matter if it's just the, the glint in their eye when they, they understand that math problem you're teaching. They got it. You're like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Same, golf. I'm, trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to tell this kid that he's doing this and that. Here's how he should fix it. And he's struggling. He can't get it. So I tell him a whole different way to think about it. And and the light clicks on. Oh, what a moment. That is unbelievable. And, but when they come back to you and say, you're the reason that, that I went into this field, or you're the reason that uh, today I tell my kids this one liner you always had. And, and because I think it's a principled thing. Wow. That, you know what I'm saying? You know, you figure your own personal kids, you're going to make an impact on their life. But how much do we impact other people's lives? And so to, to hear that from them, I think it's just amazing. So, so I'm going to say that's my, that's my best deal. Coach, that's, that's amazing. You know, that's, uh, you, I can really, really feel the love you have for your kids and uh, for your school, you know, for the school that, that you've been at, you know, going on 13 years and you can see why uh, I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking, I'm talking to a lot of people here in the city of San Antonio. I said, I said, I want to hear one bad thing about coach. And you know, what? <laughs> they're not out there. You know, they might be uh, within outside of the conference or another school, but you can tell coach, uh, you really poured into your student athletes. You poured into your kids and you're really, you your kids, and you are in the program are really reaping uh, those benefits, you know, and uh, that, that's awesome to hear. Now tell me, well, I appreciate it. Biggest that. failure. Biggest uh, failures. Biggest failure. So um, my biggest uh, mistake uh, came actually when I was at the University of Arizona. Um, so we had a kid on the team. And he was a really good player in town. He was from Tucson. He could play all the desert courses like it was going out of style. I mean, she's 65. But he did it very 
weird. Like he had a goofy swing. He kind of scraped it around. He, he wasn't very smart about the way he played. Uh, so we always said, we can't take him out of town. If you took him to Houston, he'd shoot a million. But in, in Tucson, that's who you wanted on your team, right? Well, as he got older, he got better, and he traveled with us, you know, to all the tournaments and stuff. But still, you know, he's seeing, he's playing with guys on the team like Ricky Barnes and Chris Nallen and, you know, all these guys that are going to the tour and winning the U.S. Amateur and, and you're big time, right, and getting major endorsement deals, you know, when they get out of college. And so he, at one point, we always kind of were trying to tell him, hey, you know, like, what are you going to do when you graduate? Like, this pro golf ain't going to work out for you, buddy, you know? And, <laughs> like, oh, no, but so one day he finally tells Coach LaRose and I on the range, I am going to play pro golf. I am going to sign an endorsement deal with Nike, and I am going to be a professional golfer and make the PGA Tour. And we literally looked this kid in the eye and we said, you have got to come back to reality. You are not going to play pro golf. No one is getting, Nike's not getting anywhere close to you. You're not going to play the tour. You're not good enough. You have all these deficiencies. Like, come on. I'm trying to help you out here. Like this, being this crazy dreamer, you know, that's fine, but come on. So that kid graduates. He signs a ball, shoe, and glove deal with Nike because we're in Nike school. And uh, he goes out and he makes it on the, you know, the Corn Ferry Tour now, but the web.com back then makes it through, uh, plays in a couple U.S. Opens and plays on the tour, you know, for about half a year. Right in our face. Right. (laughs) He played the the web tour, the mini tours and stuff for a good number of years before he finally decided he got married. You know, he's having kids that mini tour life's not fun. But he, he played pro golf, he signed a Nike deal, and he played in two U.S. Opens. And so after that, you know, at first we kind of laughed about it. But afterwards I said, you know, you really got to think that's just such a mistake, right? Why are you raining on some kid's dream, right? Even if you know he's not going to do it. Well, and this kid actually did it. But, I mean, we all have that story. We all have that story. You know they're not good enough or whatever. But why? And so after that, I've really tried to – I've always considered myself an uber-positive person and a person that, you know, I'm always looking for the bright side. I have seen so many bright sides and positive things come out of this COVID when everybody else is just seeing negative, right? But that's my personality. But in that moment – I lost it and I was, I was negative. Right. And, and, but so was our head, you know, we both were, we were just like, and all of our team, like all of us were just like, you've got to be kidding me, dude. And uh, he proved us all wrong. And, and maybe, maybe that's what pushed him over. Maybe, you know, he was that kind of guy that liked to prove you wrong. And so who knows, maybe we could take a little, uh, take a little piece of that action. But, um, but I would say that was, that was failure for sure. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me to, because you could pick a positive thing out of anything. You could pick a failure out of anything, right? Golf is a sport, I mean, kind of like baseball. If you hit 300, you're in the Hall of Fame, right? So it's kind of a game of failure. Golf is definitely a game of failure. And it's one of the hardest games, if not the hardest game, uh, when you include all the mental factors and how long it takes and that kind of thing. Um, 
So, so I don't know. I mean, you, you just, you don't win tournaments very often. That's just a hard thing to do, whether it's individually or even as a team, you know, you don't, you, you're always kind of failing. Um, so I, I would say that. And then my only, the, my biggest, what I consider coaching failure uh, on actually like giving advice to somebody and coaching uh, it's probably our third year here. We're playing Baylor's tournament at Royal Oaks up in Dallas. Really good field. You know, it's Oklahoma state and Oklahoma and A&M and all these teams. Right. And we play the front first nine holes and it's raining. It's terrible. And, uh, you know, it's just not looking, not looking really good. And, uh, we had, uh, we had played pretty, pretty solid. You know, I had a really young team. I mean, we were not very good. We were way overmatched. We're by far the worst team in the field, but we're kind of in the middle of the pack. We're beating some good teams and it's starting to look worse. I'm looking at the radar, I'm doing all this stuff. And so I even talked to the, the Baylor coach. He says, yeah, I think this last too much. I mean, we're going to have to call it. We're going to suspend play. And, uh, and I take it back, wasn't the first round. You know, it had been raining the whole tournament, but this is the final round, right, And uh, that we're in. And after 36 holes, we're kind of in the middle of the pack, right? So after nine holes, we're kind of hanging in there. I'm like, well, that's pretty good. And some of my kids are coming off at the turn, and they're like, man, this is terrible, coach. And I said, hey, here's what I need you to do. Just have a good attitude. Relax. They're fixing to call this. The ho- they're about to blow the horn. You know, maybe another hole, Right. And just, just relax. The scores are going to revert back to the third. And, you know, we're going to finish 10th out of 15. And we're going to beat five phenomenal teams that we had no business beating. Well, sure enough, all my kids come through. And I tell them this. And they kind of let their guard down. Start making a few bogeys. Uh, and, yeah. and the horn doesn't blow. They keep playing. Now, it was, it was unfair. Wow. I think it was a, a bad move, right? But, hey, that's life. Life happens. And in the end, we lose a couple spots, and, and some teams beat us that shouldn't have beat us. And it's because I coached my guys, basically, to just say, hey, just relax, right? And instead of saying, hey, suck it up. Play tough. I mean, you know, it's raining. Let's, let's deal with this. And so I learned from that. Um, you know, I was a younger head coach uh it it was what i kind of call that that perfect storm of you had all the facts the coach of the 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 guy running the tournament said they're about to blow the horn you look at the radar it looks like a tornado's coming like it's 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 almost unplayable as it is there's puddles of water everywhere all the signs pointed to yeah they're about to blow the horn and so you're trying to, you know what I mean? Trying to do the right thing. So now I know better, obviously, as an old <laughs> veteran coach, you don't take anybody at, you know, if the rules official says, yeah, we're probably going to blow the horn in a little bit. Well, we'll see. I mean, if they blow it, great. But you, you just don't take anything, you know, for granted, right? And uh, so I would say that was a, that was a coaching failure. But uh, um. I think all the other failures that you could say, because there's, I always say all these gray hairs, these are all the times I've failed and I've messed up and and it's wisdom. You know, I always tell the kids, this is all wisdom. Listen to what I say 
because I've already done it and I've done it wrong and I've learned the hard way. And now you don't have to go through all that mess. Just, just listen. Right. And, but all those failures made all this gray hair and wisdom. So I wouldn't have been as good a coach today if I hadn't had those failures. One, one thing coach, did you have a lot of hair when you started coaching? I always had my hair short, <laughs> uh, but I did have hair. And then it was getting a little bit thin on top. Not like some, you know, I didn't look like Paul Feinbaum, you know, right. But so I had, but it was getting thinner. And one day I decided, you know what? I don't like the barber I have here and <laughs> they don't cut it right. It just, it seems like it's a, a hassle every time it's a fight. I'm just going to buzz it myself. Right. And just real short, just buzz it. So I did that for a couple of times. And then I thought, eh, buzz it a little shorter. And then I was like, well, I'm going to shave it. See what it looked like. <laughs> so I did that. I thought, well, that doesn't look too bad. And, uh, then I, and back then I really didn't have <laughs> facial hair or anything and so then i kind of grew it out down there and and uh so you got to have you got to have the balance right <laughs> well one th one thing coach that i always ask all of our guests on our show and it's a little bit lighter on the lighter side of golf what's your favorite golf movie movie um i mean growing up i'm a kid you know i grew up in the 70s and 80s so caddyshack is obviously the you know the end-all beat-all golf movie right and uh, but then as you got a little bit older, I mean, you can't can't knock a movie, you know, like a tin cup or, you know, some of those kind of things. Those are those are great. Um, I, I think some of the movies like uh, Bagger Vance and some of those that kind of had a. A more, uh, I don't know, behind the scenes. Um, motive to them or something. Those are awesome movies i mean you know uh you can really kind of kind of learn something from that it just happens to be centered around golf and uh but i'm, I'm definitely a caddyshack guy i was really bummed when they came out with the the caddyshack 2 and just completely ruined the the whole franchise that was that was a hard deal oh come on coach i love caddyshack 2 see because caddyshack 2 was the first I, i'm 40 years old coach you know I, I wasn't i wasn't around when the first caddyshack came out and so i grew up watching caddyshack 2 so when I actually saw the original, I said, wow, if they could have kept Rodney Dangerfield, if they could have kept his character in, in exactly. the part two, I said, oh, I think that's, I think Caddyshack was, was one of the movies that really helped build uh, Rodney Dangerfield, you know, because again, yeah. he always said he didn't get no respect, but I think that was one that, that kind of helped him get out acting more. Yeah. Dangerfield and Judge Schmales and, and Ty and all them. I mean, they're that, that, that cast was phenomenal. Bill Murray. And, and I mean, it just has so many one liners that you still use today. I mean, you still say, Hey, the world needs ditch digger too, Danny. I mean, <laughs> use that, you know, and, and, uh, you know, don't, don't sell yourself short. You're a tremendous slouch. You know, that kind of deal. I mean, that stuff has just gone on for, for, for time. I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. So, well, I had, I had a PGA uh, teaching professional, Ben Kern from Georgetown country club. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh, he, he played at, uh, in Manhattan at Kansas state mm -hmm. and the, in the big 12. And, uh, uh, one of the questions I asked him, you know, just, uh, what was one of his experiences? And he told me a story that he was caddying there in Manhattan, I guess, during kind of like the off season. And he actually caddied for Bill Murray and his brother. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, 
you know, he said Bill Murray's brother gave him a 20 and he was driving off the cart and, <laughs> and uh, Bill Murray waves him over and he's waving him over. He's like, oh man, Bill Murray's, <laughs> Bill Murray's waving me over. So he goes back and Bill Murray gives him $1. And he tells him, he goes, uh, he goes, here's a little something for the trouble. Something for the effort. <laughs> something for the effort. There you go. Something for the effort. And I was just like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And he was just like, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> phenomenal. phenomenal. And so uh, those are some things I always, always ask our guests because uh, nothing is OB is the podcast, South Texas podcast. And it being a South Texas podcast, what is your favorite golf course that you've played or that you've been to in the South Texas area? Well, let's see. Down here, um, there's so many good ones. Um, We're pretty blessed at UTSA that we really get to play all of the best, you know, courses in town. I mean, we get to go out to Cordillera Ranch and Briggs Ranch. Oh, man. The TPC is our home course. How how amazing is that? I got two golf courses and the greatest practice facility in the world out there. And uh, so I'm, you know, I'm kind of biased on some of that, but you know, we play at Oak Hills and Dominion and and you know, Sonterra and you know, just all the the courses around. La Cotera is right across the street. And um, but the thing I think about South Texas golf is it doesn't matter if it's the most high end club that costs you a hundred grand to join and a thousand dollars a month and bent grass greens and zoysia fairways. <laughs> oh, Briggs, Briggs, or if it's just your local public course, right, that just costs you 25 bucks to play, this area and the terrain is amazing. My kids, so we, like I said, we're real blessed, right? We get to play all those great places, but sometimes we take them to Cedar Creek and to Silverhorn and to, you know, Brackenridge and places like that, right, or the Republic uh, and stuff like that before it closed. And uh, Pecan Valley before it closed back in the day. Damn. And so we would do that. We did it with a purpose. We were probably going to a course that had, uh, I always say, the best thing about a public course is even if it's in really good shape, they usually have kind of grainy greens, right? They're not going to be quite as, as perfectly smooth. They might be, I should not say that. They could be very smooth. And they could even be fast, but they'll have some grain in them just because a lot of times the grass is older. You know, a private course has the funds to resod the whole place, right? Well, before you go to Hawaii to play in a tournament, those courses might be cool and they might be great, but the greens are really grainy and it'll pull your ball offline and they're hard to read. And so we would always go play at some of the public courses. My kids love when we go to places like that. They always thought Cedar Creek is so awesome and it's so, you know, scenic, right? They all play in the, in the San Antonio uh, Open every year, right? And, you know, at, at first blush for a really top-ranked plus five amateur golfer who's like tour level, right, type players and stuff like that, and they get to play, they practice at the TPC every day, you think, are they going to play in the San Antonio Open at Cedar Creek? They're like, oh, yeah. That's awesome. Love that place. Well, it, it, well, in all fairness, Cedar Creek was one of the U.S. Open, uh, what was it, qualifying places. So I know that was years past. But but you see what I'm saying is, so 
honestly, it's hard for me to name. I mean, it's a pretty cool experience to play at a lot of these places that maybe or, or you know, you just don't get a chance to play because it's really private or it's really whatever. You know, that's all great. And uh, there's some courses in Austin that are like that and uh, whatever. And, and, and but Laredo Country Club is one of our favorite places. We play in the Border Olympics golf tournament every single year. Uh, it's one of the oldest golf tournaments uh, in college golf. And it's been going on for like 70 years in a row. And, and so it's, uh, it's phenomenal. And it's kind of got that same thing we talked about on the first of the show. The people there go out of their way to make you feel welcome. They have host families for every team. We've got UTSA alumni down there that host us. And, you know, they, they, they go all out and, and you know, put on, the, put on the feed bag for our guys and barbecue and do all this stuff. They bring in this competition barbecue guy and, and barbecue and do all these things. I mean, it's, it's an amazing deal. Laredo Country Club is awesome, and they just redid it. I can't wait to go back this year and see all the – they have brand-new greens and, and some other stuff. And um, guys like Tom Kite and Bill Rogers and, you know, Ben Crenshaw and stuff won the Border Olympics, you know, back in the 70s and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it's just – South Texas has got a lot of great places and a lot of great history. And I – I'll have to say that growing up in College Station, we didn't know about it, uh, at least in my era, right? If you're from College Station now, maybe you venture over here more often. But we came over to go to SeaWorld once, <laughs> we to Alamo once, and that was it. That was my whole San Antonio experience, you know, walked around on the Riverwalk, ate at Mexican food place, right? <laughs> And so, nothing wrong with that coach. Nothing wrong. I'm with saying it. like, I didn't know anything oh, yeah. about it. It took all of about a week for my wife and I to fall in love with the hill country when we moved here, because mm-hmm. it's just, it's just an amazing place. You have everything. I mean, you've got a little bit of desert. You've got a little bit of green. You've got oak trees, but you've got sagebrush and tumbleweeds blowing. You've got cactus, yeah. you know, and elevation changes. Some of these golf courses, you got to be a mountain goat to get around on them. <laughs> <laughs> they, they make the views phenomenal it's a great time to play you can play bad and you're like well i had a pretty good day today nice. <laughs> yeah. that, that that is that is spot on here in south texas and that's re- that's one of the biggest reasons why i started this podcast is because i think there's a lot of gems like yourself and like the utsa men's and women's programs that people just haven't heard about or people don't know about and and I really appreciate you being on the show today just because uh, I'm a proud runner. Uh, I'm a super proud runner. My wife and I, we met at UTSA. We still live we still live real close by. We're over here by the Hosman area. We're right by y'all's complex. Um, my in-laws live right in that area. Uh, we're really proud to, to now call San Antonio our home. And we just really want to try to open it up and gather more support for the school that, that we love. Our kids love the school. We, they, we want them to be road runners if they want to be road runners. And I really thank you for being on today. I, I know I took a lot of your time up and uh, again, I really feel like the passion, the type of person you are and the the type of men, the type of men you are to lead our kids. I, I couldn't be more proud. Well, I appreciate that. It's uh, it goes both ways. Um, I'm, I'm super proud to be here and uh, we, uh, we love everything about it and, 
And uh, this area has been been really good to us uh, and to my family. And uh, we're just we're just fired up for the future. That, that's a, that's the last thing I want to finish on. What is your hopes for this year, Coach? Okay, so uh, two years ago, we uh, our the way Conference USA works is you at the tournament you play fifty four holes and the low four teams make it to the match play portion and then you play match play. And we uh, we finished first. We were in the stroke play, you know in the stroke play portion, and so we qualified for the match play and we beat the. Uh, who I thought was the us and UAB were the top two teams in the conference that year, uh, ranking national ranking wise. And uh, we beat them in the first match. And then uh, we played middle Tennessee who had won the previous year uh, in the finals. And it it just didn't look like it was going our way in the finals. I didn't think we were going to win around the 12th hole. And then it looked like we had a little spark. And uh, then again, then, Three holes later, I mean, it looked – it was destitute, right? And uh, Michael Rome on our team, who was a, a sophomore at the time, uh, makes makes putt on the last hole to have his match and go extra holes. And while that's going on, I still need two more guys to win their match, and, and they do. And uh, Sean Meehan, as a senior who went to Johnson High School here, uh, you know, won his match on the 18th hole and came from behind to do it. And uh, so we all go out to watch the extra. It's, it's all down to this one match now and the extra playoff holes to win the conference championship. And it goes uh, six extra playoff holes. And on the third hole, my guys are, let me back up on the second hole. Michael's on the green on a par five and two and the other guy is in jail and the other guy gets up and down and they end up having the hole with birdie on the next hole. My guy, Michael is completely in jail. It's over. We're going to lose. And Michael makes a, about a 25 footer downhill. And I mean, it was like Ryder cup. People are screaming. I mean, he's giving it the, you know, all this stuff. And uh, they get to the fifth playoff hole and their guy hits it in about 12 feet. And the, the, the pins on the front of the green, it goes up a ridge to another level. Michael ends up hitting his ball up to the top shelf. So now he's got a putt from the top shelf, down the shelf, whatever. And so I'm really thinking if he can two putt, I'm not so sure he can. I mean, it's going to be fast. It can get away from you. And I was like, if he can two putt, the other guy does have a breaking putt. You know, it's not some gimme 12 foot breaks. You know, I was like, maybe we can go to the next hole and Michael makes it. It's like 50 feet. He makes it. The place is berserk. I literally think that's it. We're going to win. And you always think in match play, the other guy's going to make it, right? But I had this feeling, like, that's it, right? There's no chance this guy makes And the other thing is, we have the best following in the country in, in college golf. All of our parents are at every single tournament there's never a kid that's playing without someone watching him. And so we had 50 people surrounding this green watching and, and their guys, they had no one, no parents, nothing. They had their other couple teammates and their coach. And that was it. So I was like, there's no chance this guy makes it. So I'm, he's getting up over the putt and I'm telling myself, expect him to make it, expect him to make it, expect him to make it. Kind of not expecting him to make it. And he makes it. 
And so kind of, oh, my God, mm. what a dagger, right? Mm. They go to the next hole, and they both hit it in there, and Michael leaves it just short from probably 20 feet, really slick putt, and the other guy had a easier uphill putt, and he made it for birdie. So um, we end up uh. the, the championship, right? So since that time, we it, the whole last year it was all about we're getting back there, we're going to avenge this you know deal, that kind of thing, and we had uh, Michael – gets hurt over the summer uh, before last year uh, with a back injury. So he's going to redshirt the whole year. He's our number one player returning. And he comes back uh, or our team comes back and we get off to a really bad start. The all fall, just like we just play real lackluster. We're without our, our team. He's the team captain, like, you know, but we finally start to knock the rust off towards the end. And starting out in the spring, we start to play a lot better. Had a couple top five finishes, some good fields. We, we saw it going the right direction. We had clawed our way back up to about third in the, in the conference rankings, national rankings-wise. And uh, so I felt, okay, we're getting back to where we can at least have a, a shot at getting that ma- into the match play again and see if we can avenge this loss. And then COVID hits, right? So now we didn't get a chance to do it. So then we come into this fall, and when – I don't know if you watched the tour event this week, but with, mm-hmm. with what all with happened with uh, John Rahm and all that deal, when Rahm makes that big, huge putt, I, I said, wow, that reminded me of Rome at conference a couple of years ago. And so the, the tweets or the, the, uh, the group text starts going back and forth and everybody's like, oh yeah. And you know, my assistant coach posts the video of him making this long putt and all this stuff. Right. And, and I said, yep, can't wait to get back there. And, Michael wrote in there, he was like, I still feel sick in my stomach almost every day about that. He is still holding on to that. He is so ready to absolutely destroy some people this year, and it just keeps getting backed up. So what I'm looking forward to the most is the first shot of the spring when we can actually compete, compete because we got our, those super seniors that got their year back of eligibility back, Colin Clark and Adam House, we got Rome back, who was our best player that we didn't even have last year. Yeah, yeah. Freshman coming in. I'm telling you, yeah, we're going to be good. And I'm just ready to get out there and show everybody what we got. Trot out the show ponies, you know. <laughs> Coach, everyone's ready. Everyone's ready to see y'all. Everyone's ready to see y'all. And, man, like – uh I do this show because I, because I love the game of golf. I can't always be on the damn course. And this is my way of, of staying connected to the course. And like, you gave me chills. You gave, you gave me goosebumps right there. And I, I do that. You know how you do that sometimes when, when you reminisce on a moment and uh, you painted the picture for me and I'm just like, man, this, this is why I do this show. And uh, Hey, I appreciate you taking me there, coach. I really do. Um, uh, just one thing I have to ask you for myself, Coach. One thing I have to ask you for myself. I'm super curious. How, how are you all able to get your clubs? Like, do you have a deal with somebody or do you all, uh, like, bring in a fitter or the kids responsible for, I guess, their own clubs or what? That's just something I'm, I'm so curious on. Well, uh, the way college golf works is um, it's kind of both. So amateur golf – club fitters, uh, club companies can give you like, so like junior players, kids, mm-hmm. uh, that are really, really good. Right. Well, they can get free clubs, you know, from Titleist and ping and Callaway and all this kind of stuff, uh, just like a pro would, but you know, uh, 
because it's just equipment. And so sometimes these kids come in kind of with their own deal. Like you recruit a really good player there. They've got a deal going with Titleist and Titleist just, you know, they're hooking them up with equipment right now. Once they get to college, it has to go through the school. So then Titleist would just send it to me and I would give it to the kid. And uh, so that's one way. Another way is uh, your team is good and or players on your team are good. So Titleist might say to me, hey, coach, you know, like so-and-so is your best player. Like, you know, uh, we're going to give him some wedges this this month or or whatever. Or, you know, because, you know, he's a, a Titleist player or whatever. Or I might call and say, hey, so-and-so, you know, his driver's not working for him anymore. I think we need to look at a different shaft, whatever. Yeah, coach, just, you know, get him fit, get some specs. You know, we'll send him one, right, for free. Um it's definitely a rich, the rich get richer. So Oklahoma State can get any club they want for any player on their team. The 12th player can have as much stuff as he wants, right? I believe, I believe it. I believe that. Say, my number one player might be that way. My number two player might be able to get some stuff. My number three player might be able to get a few things. My number eight player, he's not getting anything for free. But colleges yeah. have deals with all these club companies to where we get it a little bit below half price. And so if you have enough money as a school, uh, you can buy those clubs for them or they can just buy their own clubs at a discounted rate. Right. And so it depends. When I first got to school here, our team was ranked 264 out of 300 teams in the country. Right. We're not Damn. getting there for free. <laughs> no, we don't have any money to buy kids a set of clubs but they would buy their own clubs with our discount. Well, as we got a little better and a little better, maybe we started getting some stuff for free, some golf balls for free or whatever. So I wasn't spending as much money or budgets went up. We started football. We started having some more money. Budgets went up, maybe fundraising dollars. Maybe I raised more money and we had a little more money in the bank. So then so-and-so, especially if you're one of the better players where, Hey, it's about time, you know, your clubs get a little, let's, let's get you a new set. Well, in that case, we would have the club fitters come, the tour reps, bring the tour truck, do the club fitting, that kind of stuff with our guys, or send them to a place, get fit, and, um, and then we would buy those clubs for them. If we couldn't get them for free, hopefully we're getting them for free. Now my teams are ranked about 75 in the country out of 300, and so we get a lot more free stuff, right? <laughs> and, and so that's kind of how that works. Um, you know, Ping makes all the bags for us. And, and as a matter of fact, if you haven't been on our Facebook page. Or uh, our, Coach, I've, I've shared that thing on my site. I've shared, shared. It's been, it, you see a lot of sharing. It's because uh, I did it within my Nothing is OB, South Texas Facebook group, my homepage. Uh, I'm, uh, Coach, like I said, I, you, see, you see Rowdy back here, right? They don't make him no more. No. You know that. They don't make him no more. <laughs> and uh i have another brand spanking new one that i just keep on ice i keep on ice you know and and before before i play a good before i play a big round the next day i make i i have one of my daughters sleep with rowdy you know just you know <laughs> hey i got to you know i just give him some good juju you know <laughs> give him That's some good awesome. juju but so but, those uh, bags, you know those are the greatest things those man you're telling me up with those and you know got the texas flag on there all all our kids I are saw them. Texas. I saw them. it's got it's those sweet. camo panels and stuff for military yeah this 
those bags are the greatest bags that I've ever had in 26 years of golf coaching at any of the schools. And it's just my assistant coach gets all the credit for that. He did all the design on that. I mean, it's freaking took, sweet. He took some, uh, some surveys and asked the kids their opinions, but in the end, he's the one that made those. And, and, uh, so Kyle Collins, he gets all the, all the credit for that. And, uh, uh, but yeah, so, you know, a lot of those things like that equipment and that kind of stuff, it either comes through deals that your school has, you know, we're in Adidas school. So we, we wear all Adidas stuff and our shoes and our clothes and, uh, you know, all the things, uh, you know, that, so we, that's what, that's what hurts me though, because I cannot, uh, I am a Nike guy and I wear just, I, that's all I, that's all I really wear to, to golf in. And I, I cannot, I cannot bring myself, even though being a proud alumni uh, being a season ticket holder for UTSA football, I do not have anything Adidas with with UTSA. I have to go and dig through lids, sporting wear, sporting good stuff, to dig and find a Nike polo that has UTSA on. I'm just, I, I can't do it. I, I cannot do it. Bookstore or to Academy. No, no, yeah, I, I do. They, they do, and they have hats. A lot of like Champion, and they have some other stuff. If you just can't do it, but uh, <laughs> I, I can't do it. Like summer, summer gave me a hat, uh, a hat last year, and I was like, "This, okay, thanks." And then I, I come home, hey babe, give it to one, of, give it to my oldest daughter because she likes the golf. And I'm like, "Hey, you just say coach gave this to you? Oh, great, you know." And so uh, again, coach, I know I've taken up a lot of your time, but uh, I'm telling you, like. I'll, uh, I played, I played in the golf tournament today at Brack and I was just telling everybody, I was telling everybody, uh, you know, cause I had my banner out there too. Uh, I had the tournament host on, on Tuesday and I was just telling everybody, uh, I was just so excited to speak to you this evening. And, uh, you really turned out a lot better than, than I thought, you know? And so, uh, I'm so thankful coach and I wish you and your team, nothing but the best this year. And if there's any way I could, I could help y'all push something out, uh, man, please let me know. I'm, I'm super proud of my school. I love my school. I love our sports program and I love the direction that our school is going. And, uh, thank you once again, coach. I appreciate what you're doing for these kids in the game of golf here in South Texas. Fantastic. Thanks for having me on. I would like to thank the university of Texas at San Antonio and the UTSA men's golf program for allowing coach to be on the show today. Please follow them on Instagram and Facebook at UTSA Men's Golf. And please follow me on Instagram and Facebook, Nothing is OB, South Texas Golf Podcast. Remember, in the game of life, nothing is OB.